not headcanon that this is grown-up Lefeu no, from... No, Lefeu is Beauty and the Beast's Lefeu. Oh my god. That also makes him so much funnier. That makes He's him funnier. He's just like the old version of Gaston's Instantly. Pal. Maybe Perolis is like Wait, Gaston. so is the king the beast? Is <gasps> the king the beast? <laughs> and he's dying, and he's dying of an anal fistula? But then Helena would still be Belle and that gets weird. No, well, shipping. Helena's not be- Belle. She cures him, though. Oh, man. <laughs> Welcome, noble patrons. Welcome, gentles all. This is What You Will. A tedious and brief Shakespeare podcast. I'm Charlotte Ollie. And I'm Danielle Cohn. And today is part two of our discussion about All's Well. That, that ends, ends well. well. <laughs> Last week we well? talked. That ends well. That ends well. <laughs> so last week we talked about our main girl Helena, the kick-ass female anal surgeon who just needs to get her confidence up to ask out the asshole she's in love with. Yeah, she just needs some new contacts and like a little pep talk from her girlfriends. Her girlfriends, <laughs> the Countess and the Widow and Diana. Also, why doesn't the Widow have a name? Why, do, why doesn't anyone have a name except for? Helena and Diana and Bertram. You know, because they don't need them. What's a name? That which we call a character. Parolis' name means words. Words. And Lavash's name means the cow, which ironically is also the funniest thing about him. (laughs) He's the I mean, look, Shakespeare, you have a lot of very funny clowns. I'm saying with Lavash, maybe go back to the drawing board. I, here's the thing, though. I had heard that he was the like a super not funny clown, and I actually found him to be funnier, therefore, than I was expecting him to be. But the problem is, I still couldn't tell you a single one of his jokes. No, well, okay, I actually, one of his jokes that I did not find funny, but found upsetting in how it, it tells us society views women... <laughs> is um, when he's talking to the Countess, there are so many scenes of Lavash and the Countess just hanging, hanging. out. Just, like, I, I picture them like like a vaudeville act. Like the curtain closes because <laughs> they have to like change the scenery and like the two of them come out and they're like... Yeah, I guess in an earlier scene he's like, I'm in love with this girl, Isabel. And the Countess is like, cool, I don't care. And then she's like, oh, are you still in love with Isabel? And he's like... No, now I've been to the court, and the Isabels of the court are much better than our Isabels of the country, which is so just, like, how all the men view women in this play. Yeah. Like, Bertram gets to the court, and he's like, ah, women in the court. And the king, like, makes some jokes about, like, Italian women, like, oh, boys, you're going to Italy to fight wars. Have fun with the women. And Bertram's clearly, like, excited for something exotic. He doesn't want to look right next door at the girl who's always been there. No. Anyway, that's all I really have to say about Lavash. He's a, a clown who wastes everyone's time. Maybe he should just be dressed as a cow. I'm just putting <laughs> that out there as a possible future production. I, Milky White, but Lavash. I really He's like... He's just played by a statue of a cow. 
I really like setting this in a sort of Beauty and the Beast-esque world where the Countess's French manor is haunted by all manner of um, appliances that have come to life. And Lavash's Lumiere. He's like a candlestick or maybe like a loofah or like a a tea kettle or something (laughs) that just like crawls around the stage. Anyway, we're, we're really, we gotta, we have to talk about Parolis. It's time. I don't want to. It's it's time. His name means words. He's Harold Bloom's <laughs> <Same> favorite. <laughs> His he's Harold Bloom's favorite character in this play. And Harold, I truly don't understand. Harold Bloom how... is like he's a proto Falstaff. He's like this coward who's larger than life. He's just this frat boy asshole who spends the whole play. Okay, so Helena's low self esteem I think comes from a lot of places, but I think. There's a valid argument to be made in that the way she views Bertram, she's in love with this version of Bertram that doesn't exist. She's in love with this version of Bertram she's built up in her mind that's way better than real life Bertram, which like we've all been Welcome there. To the club, Am I right, sweetie? ladies? Like, yeah. Or oh. sweetheart, as Perillas likes to call people. What, what's the matter, sweetheart? Is Perillas' only good line, um, <laughs> which she says to Bertram after Bertram's been forcibly married, and Bertram's like, "What do you think is the matter?" But um. Helen is clearly, she's seeing Bertram through this wackadoo lens, and she's seeing herself kind of through the lens of guys like Parolis. Who just sort of, those guys who, like, they don't actually want to sleep with you, but they want to tease you about your virginity. Yeah, like, she she's seeing herself through the eyes of these, like, men trying to be hyper broy and competing with each other for who can bag the hottest babe. I clearly or don't have a the, lot of straight male friends. Get the best drum. <laughs> get the drum back. Oh my god. Drumming. So Parolis is- Join the drum line. He's this baffling- He's Bertram's friend. Drum it up. (laughs) And they go to war together, and Bertram just like- uh, Parolis just eggs Bertram on to like do dumb things, like run away to be at war. To go do the war. And then they're at the war, and everyone, even the soldiers are like, so Parolis is a big dumb asshole. And Bertram's like, you sure? And they're like, yeah, we're sure. And so they devise this plot where they're like, we're going to prove to you, because Bertram has some line like, I wish I knew how to test him properly or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, here's how. We're going to tell him to go back for his drum, and then we're going to beset him and pretend to be from the enemy camp and interrogate him about literally all of the people he claims are his friends Mm -hmm. and our actual army war stratagems and watch him be the worst. And they're going to, like, talk gibberish at him. It's going to be hilarious. Hilarious. So they do it. <laughs> it's not that funny. Hilarious. It's, it's hilarious. It's a, I mean. To somebody, Shakespeare I has a lot of plays with subplots. I think his best comedies, you cannot remove the subplot without destroying the, the whole play. Plot. Yeah. Like, if you look at. Twelfth Night. Twelfth Night. If you look at Midsummer, if you. Well, okay, Midsummer we can fight about. But if you look at Twelfth Night, if you take out the Malvolio plot, the A plot kind of falls doesn't apart. It doesn't work. The, it's all... And, and the, the... Yeah, because... Yeah, basically just yes. But if you take out Parolis from this play, you have a lovely 90-minute evening at the theater. 60-minute even. You go in, you see a, a fun... Lady doctor be in love with somebody who's not in love with her. Fun play about an anal surgeon who gets married and tricks a man into having sex with her. And then you go home. Yeah. I just... That's why his name means words. They it, were like, ah, oh, fuck, this place is short. 
He, he feels like filler in a large way. I think you can definitely get a lot out of him as this sort of guy who Bertram wants to live up to. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of room for him influencing the narr- less the narrative of the play, but more the way the play explores gender roles and explores societal views on those things. And I think also as a huge motivator of Bertram <laughs> throughout the play. Uh, so I think he does he does have that potential as a, a highly functional character. And he Sorry, fights with Corollas. a few. Oh yeah, also that relationship to me is a little baffling. I mean, it makes sense on on a basic level where LeFuse, you can argue again with the idea of this play being largely about seeing through people and and people getting their just desserts in the end, that LeFuse like, I see through you, and I'm gonna tell you that, but they fight so aggressively from a very, there's like, it's like zero to a hundred. They're just fighting, but then in the end, LaFue kind of takes him back and saves him. So it is yeah, this weird, like, we're just playing. Also, it's it's Shakespeare's classic joke, you're too old. Mm. Parolis' main thing with LaFue, they're like, bicker, 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 and then Parolis just is like, you're old, man. That's the joke. That's, that's there's your punchline. Olds and cowards. This, ugh, there are so many unfunny clowns. I mean, Lavash is our official clown, but... Parolis and LeFew are clearly supposed to offer some kind of comedic relief. Honestly, I do think they're funny. We're being a little harsh. They're, they're, I they're, don't. They're a little funny. I feel like they're I don't think, think they're funny. Yeah, if you have the most brilliant, if they're juggling the whole time. That's what I want. <laughs> if if they pull their pants down halfway through the scene. I get, I, they just don't offer yeah, no. a lot to Helena's story besides... Parolis negging her constantly and having that whole scene where they they kind of trade wits about virginity and that's and like I said I think fun. that sets the tone even if it's not like aggressively funny. There's also that weird scene where Parolis just keeps interrupting Lefeu, which I yeah think he is won't like, let him finish the like, sentence. It's like the mansplainiest, although it's not quite mansplaining because he's doing it to another man, but but where he's just like that guy who's just like oh I know no I know no I know it. Is Perolis there to make Bertram look like less of a dick? Oh, I like that theory. Because <laughs> Bertram can easily be a, a huge asshole. I think the more aggressive you make Parolis, the, the better. The more like, oh, sweet Bertram. He's just misled by yeah. his shitty friend. Yeah, I think uh, Bertram has, um, when he he's been told, like, oh, you're marrying Helena, mazel tov. He has a line to the king saying, um, like, give me leave to look with mine own eyes. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, give me leave to use the help of mine own eyes. Which I think you can read in a lot of different ways. You can read it as a slam on Helena that she's not that cute and he's being shitty. You can read it as, like, he wants to be able to make his own decisions. Yeah. And I think it's interesting... Is anyone looking through their own eyes in this play when they're when Helena's looking at Bertram, when Bertram's looking at Helena? Or are they looking through this warped lens that I think I don't know that Shakespeare intended Perlis to represent, but to me he represents yeah, no sort same. of this like gross bro culture of not actually caring about women and thinking that Helena's hilarious because she's not that hot and very smart. Yeah, but I also love okay, so 
one of the things about this play, in addition to having all these female characters who band together, it's it's like a, a fairly feminist play. Not sure if it passes the Bechdel test. I'd have to come through this with it. <laughs> I've not talked about, about men anything other than only. Bertram. But... Uh, is that the other characters in the play also don't like Parolis. No one likes that he's Parolis. Not, that he is this voice of, like, hyper-toxic masculinity, but it's not a voice that is the, the heart of the play. It's a no. voice that is um, rebuked by the play mm-hmm. in almost every character's mouth. Yeah, especially all uh, the women are all so kick-ass and support each other so much. We already touched on that, but they're really... It's really a play that argues sisterhood over brotherhood. I mean, I don't want to well, say that. sisterhood over... I think just, like, one, trusting the people who are honest, and two, I think there is, like, a strong bond of sisterhood over... Over misterhood. Sister, <laughs> well, sisterhood over this sort of, like, army locker room bro culture where they're all like, ha we're gonna trick Parolis and he's gonna betray us all and won't that be hilarious? It's like, it's mean. It's, it's, they're all cutting down their friend as a way to do a funny thing, whereas the women are all building each other up as a way to make life work. Well, except for the time when Diana and the widow are like, yeah, we'll help you trick that guy into having sex with you. Totally. Done. Which, for the purposes of the plane for Helena's story is a good thing. For for life, less so. Yeah, less. Not not the hugest points for feminism. Although I would love to talk for a second about that sort of what functions as the the court. It's the court scene, but it's almost the courtroom scene mm-hmm. where everybody's on trial. Um, where where Bertram is sort of being accused of. A lot of things. Everybody's mad at Bertram for a different reason. Yeah. But basically, Diana's like, he slept with me, uh, and there's a ring in question. How did you get the ring? And he starts wildly lying, where he's like, somebody threw it at me, I picked it up. Yes. And I do think, especially in light of what's been happening in our country recently, there uh. it really did strike me that the king's first reaction is to believe the woman. He's like, she says, you slept with her. You slept with her. You have this ring. You're lying. And that it's, although I will say, to be fair, he immediately turned, <laughs> one of the best lines in the play is that the king, as soon as Diana starts doing the double talk, because she's basically revving him up for Helena's entrance. Mm-hmm. So she's like, he's left with me, but not me. <laughs> he literally says, take her away. I do not like her now. <laughs> but but it is this <laughs> sort of beautiful moment where they're, they're not having any of Bertram's shit. And when Bertram is put under pressure, he does not behave well. No. But the people of the play and the leadership of the play are predisposed to rule justly and to rule in favor of a woman who says she's been wronged. And that was cool. Yeah. The king is complicated. Interesting. He's the only father figure really in the play. There are a I lot think of a few. I would argue well, is the few, other well, yeah. he is a dad. Lefeu's a dad. And he also has a few moments of sort of being like, here I am, a dad. I know. Lefeu's just so but boring. But he's so silly. He's just silly and boring and an old, so it's hard for me to pay attention to him. But the, <laughs> you the, the countess presents herself as such a mother figure to Helena and like says a couple of times she's like, I did not have a daughter. I, well, no, she says a few times, like, I did not give my groans in birth for you or whatever to Helena a few times. It's like, we get it. She's not your biological daughter, but you love her like a daughter. Yeah. You don't need to keep saying it that way. Like, it's really weird. you did weird. not feed on me for yeah, nine she's like, months. you didn't come out of my vagina, but <laughs> yet 
And it's like, all oh, right. How can I still care about you? Surprising. Um, so she's this, like, mother... Fa- this is why I ship the, the Countess and the King, even though he's, like, a lot, is because she's, like, everybody's mom. And the King... Everyone's real dad is dead. Bertram's dad is dead and was super cool, and Bertram's trying to fill his shoes... Helena's dad was dead and was the world's greatest doctor ever. And Helena is... It's the voice that you have to say greatest doctor ever in. Well, Helena's also the world's greatest doctor ever. Greatest doctor. And the king is this sort of father figure. When Helena shows up, she's like, I'm the world's greatest doctor. And he's like, you, a girl? Ha ha. And she's like, what will you lose from me trying? When the other... Either you die... And I don't help you, or I try to help you, and there's a chance you might live. And he's like, hmm, you're rhyming a lot, so it sounds good to me. Yeah, and again, it's that thing where he is, there is the the patriarchy being like, not a girl, but he does, after a bit of coaxing, go like, yeah, I'll put my trust in you. He does give her a chance. And then he follows through. I also think that a huge part of this king is he's so prideful. Yeah. And so as soon as Bertram's like, I don't want to marry her, he's, he's not upset that really... That he doesn't want to marry Helena. Mm-hmm. He's upset that he would dare to not do what the king has said with a smile on his face. Yeah. And he's also like, I can give her land. I can fix all of these. You're, you're citing class differences and that's stupid. Do you not realize she saved my ass? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's suffering from an anal fistula. Have we said that? Anal fistula. Anal fistula? It's really interesting <laughs> to me that the king, when he's yelling at Bertram in front of everyone and being like, how dare you not marry this girl who you think of as a sister? And he cites that class differences as being dumb and he's like you know one race the human race uh yeah. king don't do that um but he does say like you know all of our blood when mingled together is all the same like what's the difference between different classes and it's like ooh, as a king should you be making that argument I mean, like but his only power stems from being of from the class hierarchy. I know. That's an, but it's a entire, nice thought, isn't it? It is a nice thought. And he he's like weirdly a very, he he's a very mercurial king. He goes from being super prideful and mad at Bertram for not marrying who he tells him to. And then he's all like, kumbaya, we're all like, we all bleed red. And then married. Yeah. And then he's like, he's really sad about Helena's death, but I don't know. I know that they're all like, oh, Helena, the most amazing woman ever. Anyway, Bertram, you're going to marry this girl. Like, they're so... It is true. There's a... It, there's definitely that thing of, like, the both the Romeo and Juliet where they're like, oh, no, Tybalt's dead. All right, you got to get married. And even the yep. Hamlet, like, my father just died. How could they get married so soon? So it's, it's that thing, that timeline. He is ready to marry Bertram very quickly. Bertram is kind of in a Juliet position. I know. I was thinking that. Where he's got to marry a randomer because his, well, I mean, Juliet's spouse isn't dead at that point. But, um, yeah, it's like there's there's been a death and now he has to get married and he doesn't really have a choice. It also reminded me a little bit of Romeo, where Romeo has this, like, in the event where Bertram is in love with Lafue's daughter that we never see. Um, <laughs> the most important character in the but play. But she's like his Rosaline, where he's like, I I wish I could marry her. She's so amazing, and that's why I can't see anyone else. Yeah, he doesn't bring it up until the last scene of the play. It's true. And also we never see her, so I sure hope she's not an important character. <laughs> we never see her. It's her, Rosalind, and the lion from As You Like It are all hanging out somewhere. All these off-stage characters. But yeah, the king is 
the bear. <laughs> I guess we have to see the bear. We, anyway. Well, debatable whether or not you see the bear from Winter's Tale. Yeah. Well, he exits pursued by the bear. Yeah. So you you It'd do be weird you to see, you, you could see, do like a sort of loopy loop bear. to run up stage. I don't know. You we, should see the bear. You should see anyway. the bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the king is um Yes, he's a good king. He's mostly a good king. I think he's a medium to good king. He's a medium king. Because he, you know, he, he does come down on the side of right. And again, I, I do have to appreciate that he's like, you wronged this woman, go fuck yourself. And also... Until that, he's like, throw her in actually, jail. Never mind. I don't like her anymore. Yeah, she's, she's annoying. She's annoying <laughs> Literally, to me now. She's annoying, so I'm going to kill her maybe. I also love that the king goes from truly believing that Bertram has murdered Helena. Yeah, he convinces himself of that real quick. So quickly. And also that he's like, I gave her that ring, so that ring is important to her. Yeah, and she would never no let it she go. She would never let it go. <laughs> yeah, and then as soon as Helena is returned, everyone's like, hooray, they're married again. Order is restored. And it's just like, oh, hang on. A second ago, you were like, Bertram probably murdered Helena. That's prop. That's that sounds like Bertram to me. And then you're totally cool with them getting together. Yeah, yeah. The end. Uh, uh, and he's, I, but he's like, you know, you did a good job of like you stayed a virgin and you got your consummation. Like, well done, you. So intrepid, which is also <laughs> weird. And then he just turns into the epilogue guy, oh, which yeah. is also just an interesting staging choice. Is that it is specifically the king who's like, well. Surprise! I'm I've ne- I take off my crown and here I am an actor actually. So, please clap. <laughs> it's also like everyone's favorite character, the, the king, king. <laughs> from Also and here to give us the epilogue. Because it's not the only Shakespeare play to have an epilogue. No, but not at all. all. Usually they're even either given by like a choral figure or like a central character, like Puck. Yeah, I was gonna Rosalind. say Puck or Rosalind is, are the two that come to mind. But here it's the king, yeah. which is, it's interesting we don't get Helena or Bertram's final thoughts on their weird, sudden remarriage. Yeah, good luck, kids. We're good luck, kids, to you. This it this is a play that feels a little bit, to me, like fan fiction that Helena from Midsummer would write. Oh my god. Where it's like... I'm a kick-ass doctor, and I'm a... Like, she... I love Helena so much, and she is a a very well-written, like, full character with flaws and skills and ambitions, but it she smacks of Mary Sue in that once she proves herself everywhere she goes, everyone's like, Helena is amazing. It's like, you know, the opening of Beauty and the Beast, where they're all like, who's that girl? That's not at all the song from Beauty and the Beast, but you know, when- when, she's so weird. When they- they, Every- That song song really presupposes- She is a funny girl. I- That song- there's nothing particular about that day that Bella's walking around their town. No, that's just every day. So you have to assume <laughs> that every single day the villagers are like, she really is a funny girl. <laughs> like, every morning they're like, Belle's weird, huh? <laughs> like, Belle's pretty weird, like, huh? I need six eggs. Also, have you thought that's about how weird this girl is? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, maybe she's not in town every day because she's sort of like holed up reading and her dad. No, because she goes. Well, because she goes to the library slash bookstore. Yeah, and she's like, but I read it yesterday. Yeah, she she could like goes there every day. (laughs) 
So every day, the, <laughs> the town is a Twitter. The town sings a song <laughs> about that's like uh, I, I'm stealing this from a tweet. But when the baker is like, yeah. there goes Bell singing her daily mean song about us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, Helena is uh, it's like a less charismatic Bell in that she's so Ur- smart. Yeah, and doesn't super care about what people think about her except for Bertram. Yeah. And everyone is, like, talking about her all the time. So it feels like kind of like (laughs) Helena from Midsummer is like, yeah, if I could just trick this guy into having sex with me, he'd be so blown away that he'd love me forever. I do love that they're both named Helena, these, like, women with self-esteem issues, but a lot of wit. And it's kind of reminds me of, like, the Chekhov, like, they're all named Masha, mm-hmm. you know, and Masha was black. And like, so Helena has poor self-esteem. Maybe we should do that more. I don't know. I mean, it's either it's either that it's kind of a play on Helen of Troy that these women who are named after the most desirable woman in literature Is are not are not are not that desirable to the men who they like. Yeah. Or Shakespeare just knew a really whiny bitch named Helena. <laughs> And, and like I say that those. I say whiny bitch with love. I love both Helena's so much. Oh yeah, there she we were. I relate to them like, very they, hard. Maybe I mean this Helena is one of my favorite characters in Shakespeare. Absolutely. Canon, period. I think again, just like the dimensions we get from her and just her her complexity and her nuance are so beautiful. I need six eggs. <laughs> <laughs> So we're here now with our dear friend Emily Lyon, uh, who I have had the privilege of knowing since college, um, and who also directed a play that Charlotte's written. It's all yeah. very loving and wonderful. So Emily, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself, would you? Great. Um, <laughs> always love the intro. good <laughs> job interview questions. Um, who are I'm, you? I'm a director. Yeah. I'm also a dramaturg, and I'm working freelance in the city. I... She's also a redhead. That's fun. True. We're Curly redhead. That. <laughs> I'm a brunette. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, you are currently working on, yeah, a production of All's Well That Ends Well. Um, so as we've sort of said leading in, we're super stoked to have you on because something we were talking about a bit in the last episode or two um, is how much the director's vision can really shape this play because there's so much mm. in there. So yeah. What about this play is most interesting to you? Oh, well, I think the fact that it's one of Shakespeare's few plays that really tracks the journey of a woman Mm -hmm. um, and that we see such, uh, we see the numerous trials she goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm really interested both in that as well as in creating the world around her and the world that uh, shapes the men of this play. Yeah. The the behavior of the men in this play is <laughs> fascinating. Yes. Danielle can see my face. You guys can't. But um, maybe you can hear it in my voice. Um, yeah, is is Super quite something. awesome. No. And, you know, especially reading Act 5 after the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation, mm. um, there's a lot to deal with in this play to make it palatable as well as just you have to sort of be honest with how problematic it is or can be. Yeah. I think a lot of what we've talked about so far is how can you, well, I guess we should ask how uh, are you dealing with Bertram in this play? Yes. (laughs) So 
my in my heart, I was really excited to take on the Helena Bertram relationship mm-hmm. and try and make Bertram uh, a thoughtful, you know, nice guy who, you know, just really who doesn't like for. Helena yeah. um, necessarily. Right. But that we can see them both as human. And then I reread the play and he <laughs> really is... He's a jerk. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what level of, of cursing we're oh, going so with. Much oh, so much Oh, yeah. Just, okay, great. He's yeah, a motherfucking jerk. He's a dick. He's just a dick. He's a dick. He's just a dick. He's an anal fistula. <laughs> <laughs> of um, a human being. <laughs> well. Indeed. So it's hard to go around that. And so what I've then thought about is, is still making him human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And trying to understand why he feels, due to society, that his dickish <laughs> verbiage is acceptable. Why his behavior is okay or encouraged. Um, of course, you know, the king is reprimanding him um, for his behavior, but it's it's the king's ego, right. really, that gets yeah. in the way, that shapes the second half of the play. Because mm-hmm. um, really, Helena would have said, hey, it's cool, I'm really sorry, yeah. let's go home and just forget all about it. But the king's ego, again, that sort of sense of toxic masculinity that I think is just dripping all over this play. Oh, that feeds really well into Yeah, I love that. So with that in mind, you and I actually were having an interesting discussion about how you view Parolis, which I thought was really cool. Would you speak a little bit to, to his role in the in this sort of Bertram world? Yeah. So there are a lot of Parolis. references in the text about his influence on Bertram. Right. Um, and how he's corrupted Bertram, how he's really changed Bertram. And I was interested in that and also interested in this world of peer pressure and of how men can can hold each other responsible to certain norms, whether that be positive or negative. Uh, and with that interest, I think there's something to Paroles being the one that encourages Bertram to to push her away quite so much. Yeah. Um, there's that scene at the very beginning of, of the play with Helena and Perlis and um, they're talking they're about virginity. Talking about yes. virginity yeah. for such a long time, mm-hmm. and she outwits him. Mm-hmm. She turns down any of what can be seen as advances. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he leaves a little bit with his tail be- between his legs. Of course, he's you know puffed up about it, um, but she sees through his mask immediately oh yeah 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 um and so you know that that feeling of a man being scorned he's there next to bertram in the court when she says hey i want to marry you what do you think Mm -hmm. and um i think there is room for for seeing what that influence is and the the only other time really that we see helena and bertram together he's sending her away yeah and parolis is there yet again um, they're really never alone together in this play. Yeah. And I, you know, she asks for a kiss. And I think that's a moment where Parolis' influence and sort of like Bertram's choices are tested. And his insecurity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Does, does he do it? I Does he not? Either way, I think he's going to look back to his sort of like pinnacle of machismo. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. His bro uh, for for what the right signal is or how he should feel about it. And I think that that's how so much of the toxic behavior happens in our society now. I love that. Because I I think something we talked about a bit was the idea of, like, 
Bertram as as this like really hot dude that that you know everybody's in love with everybody. I'm mostly. in love with Bertram. Helena, yeah, yeah like he's, he's so withholding. withholding. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But yeah. I like what we were talking about is there is room for him being like not quite that guy and like in a different play that Parolis would be the main guy, you know, instead of the sidekick, and that he's sort of trying to be more like him, and that's part of why he acts like such a prick. You're, what, you talking about this is making me think, does Parolis like Helena? Is he, like, offended that Helena likes Bertram and not him? That's really interesting. It is interesting. I, there are some, some, I don't know. Um, directors, scholars, whatever, that are interested in in Parolis and having sort of a thing for Bertram. Mm. Um, he's described a little bit as, right, like the the guy with all the scarves, man, all those scarves. Like, yeah. he's kind of foppish. <laughs> and so there's some people that lean that way. But I, I'm interested in, in the version of... I think it's less about Parolis being in love with Helena, oh, something yeah, that is no. like, like that. But... but Another possible conquest. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Which also a little bit explains that weird virginity conversation right. because that's totally the weird, like, I'm going to just bring up sex. Yeah. yeah. I, you should get rid of it. Yeah. One cool. Of the, um, what, so we read, do you know the website Goodreads where people will leave uh, <laughs> reviews? Do. Yeah. So we, we read um, one star Goodreads re- reviews for the various Shakespeare Oh my God. For this podcast. And one that didn't make it onto the podcast because it wasn't funny, it was just sad, oh. was the, uh, uh, I, I think like the avatar and the name were both uh, male presenting of someone saying, well, this place starts with this whole, uh, you know, uh, rant saying that virginity is a bad thing and that's a stupid play. Be, like What? Yeah, it was like, take, I don't, like, I can't even parse it, but I do kind of like that there's some dude bro out there reading this play and getting offended at Helena being like, virginity's kind of stupid. Goodbye. Yeah. Well, that also, I, I just have a bunch of follow-up questions mm-hmm. about that person. <laughs> and like, okay, I, I appreciate that, but does that mean there? that you're waiting like for the marriage? Dash of the play. Like, that's not necessarily particularly uh, humanizing or yeah. empathetic. And yeah, you seem no. to be very confused. Yeah. That, yes, I see why that is sad. Sad rather than funny. Yeah. No, it, it was just it was just sad. So speaking about some of the more thorny elements of this play, what scares you the most about directing All's Well That Ends Well? Um, good question. I have Yeah, so by the time probably someone's listening to this, I've solved all the problems. (laughs) Yay, thank God. Um, But thinking about it before having the ability to actually workshop it, Mm -hmm. um, I would say I've cut cut some of the sort of not very useful parts. (laughs) Ooh, tell us some of those. Okay, I straight up cut Lavach, cut him. We've talked a lot about (laughs) Lavach. Not a lot, but about, we, we basically were just like, the funniest thing about him is that his name means the cow. Word. Um, yeah, so he's gone, and the steward is gone. Um, shout out to steward. other people named Ronaldo. Uh, and the Duke is gone. So I'm interested in, you know, when, when you've excised some of the comedy, although it is not very funny, um, you know, what that balance is like. Yeah. And hoping to have some, like... Because Hedgepig is a company. Um, oh yeah, tell us a little oh, yes. bit about Hedgepig, this company that you are directing it through. Yes, yeah, so Hedgepig Ensemble Theater is an ensemble of actors mm-hmm. that are very smart, um, 
interested in sort of physical storytelling and really passionate about uplifting the voices of women in classical theater. So, hey, all for that, which is why I've kept working with them. Yes, I'm in Hedgeback. <laughs> <laughs> um, yay, lady voices. Yay. But yeah, so so I'm intrigued about using <laughs> hashtag the lady hashtag lady voices. Um, the sort of physical storytelling elements that that Hedgepig is usually leaning into, um, trying to balance that. But yeah, I hope that you know it's a story while we are examining sort of the darkness of people's behavior and society's norms, um, where we still feel some kind of hope. I mean, I do think the all's well that ends well is is a little tongue in cheek, mm-hmm. is a little of a question mark at the end. But I hope it's it's not so dark. Or let me say, I hope it's not as dark as I feel in my heart about politics right now. Because mm. that would be sad. Well, Helena does win in the end. I mean, it's arguable if her goals are the healthiest thing for her, but she achieves them. She mm. does. She definitely does. But Hamlet achieves his goal and everyone <laughs> ends up dead. So, you know, my my interest in the ending moment is that whether or not it seems like everybody is happy or mm-hmm. excited, that both Helena and Bertram are on the same page. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. So, Do you have any idea about how you would articulate that page, or is that part of what you're planning to explore in your process? I think that'll be something that it feels like we need to earn in the room. Um, but I'm interested both in the sort of mutual respect. Mm. Um, I hope that is that is gained um, or potentially chipped away at a little bit, so it's now <laughs> on the same equitable. page again. Yeah, um, so that he's no longer a bright particular star. He's yeah, or I love that model. Right. Um, or that they're both sort of going into it with very wide open eyes and not sure if this is going to really work out. But I'm really intrigued that Helena ends with, "Hey, if I didn't do it, then like, let's get a divorce. You know, if it yeah. doesn't work out." Yeah. Deadly divorce, stiff between you and me. Yeah. And also deadly. Um, okay. Girl. Drama. I mean, drama. it's the but time. It is. Well, it is. I mean, Helen is also particularly dramatic. Oh, yeah. Well, she's a lady. And it's alliterative. Yeah, that's, that is true. <laughs> she rhymes um, a lot. She's what a lady She's a what? lady that sees a lot of responsibility in herself. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. something that we can relate to, or at least I relate to very strongly of, okay, I am powerless if it's not my fault. So hmm. I might as well make it my fault so that hopefully I can do something about it. Oh, oh that's really interesting. That's an interesting that's take on really Helena. That's really cool. Yeah. I, that's, yeah. Wow. Because I, I really think that um, we talked a little bit about the way that she is so confident in her medical knowledge, but downplays that so much in favor of putting herself down mm-hmm. as a romantic interest. Like that, oh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the yeah. Helena Countess relationship as well. Yeah, what do you think of that? Um, I I don't have any, uh, I definitely have a, a sense of what it's like, but I don't have a particular phrase of like, oh yes, I picture them as blank something. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, it can be seen as an example of actual female mentorship mm-hmm. yeah. that happens, um, which is, again, a sort of rare rare moment for Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. You know, often we get more of the Gertrude, Gertrude Ophelia of like, oh, if only... I could have helped, maybe. Know. Right, yeah. <laughs> or, and know, a lot of male mentorship, but not tons a ton of, male of female mentorship. It's true. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. nice to see that and to get the Countess's strong 
endorsement and her her continuing on the side of morality throughout mm-hmm. the play rather yeah. than what many white women are doing now of like <laughs> but my son yeah oh yeah the, the countess is like take my son put him in the garbage i fucking hate that guy he's dead to me yeah you're my he's daughter like, i choose you you're my smart daughter who went to medical school <laughs> my garbage son who's like off chasing diana across florence fuck yeah. you <laughs> who i love that he's like i heard your name was fonty bell Wow. Also, <laughs> who the fuck is Fonty Bell? What an opening line. Yeah, I have a good gag plan for that. Oh, wait, will you tell us what it is? <laughs> no, you have to come see it. <laughs> okay. I'll take that. Oh, I love Diana. Um, is there anything in particular that, like, you're most excited about or that, that you really hope to bring out of this play? I mean, obviously, we've already talked about a lot of that, but anything else that, like, comes to mind on those sort of fronts? Yeah, I just sort of hope that women walk away. Women that see this play walk away feeling like, I need to stop apologizing to myself Aww. or for myself, both. Yeah. Um, I guess apologize to yourself more and often. And also, like, raise other women up, maybe. Because there's a bit of a... Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the, the relationship between Diana and Helena and the widow... Um, is is really kind of wonderful. Yes. And, right, there's no... Even though there is that hint of, like, well, she could really be catty if she wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't. No. Yeah. Everyone's super supportive, and, okay, there is, you know, some money exchanged for <laughs> for services, well, sort of. Well, Helen is but, super rich. Yeah, it's and also, yeah. Like, a nice She's like, thing. man, I don't know what to do with this it's now. Very, like, because everyone I love is dead, other than the countess. She's fine. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like when Harry got Ron <laughs> to get... Jenny to ha- no that no, went to no, a no. weird dark place. No, when Harry gives the Weasleys I, money for I their know, joke well, shop. No, I was trying I to was draw thinking. the parallel oh. of if if she's Harry and Diana's Ron, then and that gets weird. That quickly. gets very confusing. I was, I was no tr- point is Harry like will you? Nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I was the trying Harry to draw a fun <laughs> parallel to pop culture. No, it didn't work. That's it okay. Didn't work. That's they okay. both um, sort of use magic. <laughs> Kind of. Yeah. yeah I'll take that. <laughs> Helena has that weird spell moment. What's that about? Um, you mean curing the king? Or yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. When, when, they get, when they get into that, oh, like, nice yeah. rhyme place where they're just, like, vibing off of each other real hard. They are vibing. Um, it's true. I also <laughs> may have cut a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I think it gets to a very confusing, like, religious place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, even though I know a lot of people are like, yeah, she enchants him with this rhyming stuff, I'm like, I think it's actually, think if you look doctor. at the, the, well, if you look at the text, it's also a lot of, like, religious imagery. Yeah. Yeah. And she's really convincing him that he would be going against God and God's suggestion. It's sort of like that that story of um, you know, the guy who's like, God will save me and mm-hmm. then he dies and God's like, Hey, I sent you a boat and a raft and all these oh, other man. people. Yeah. What the fuck? Right. Yeah. yeah, so it feels like she's saying, Hey, I'm I'm giving you this opportunity and let me use all this religious imagery. Yeah. Um, to do that. Which is fascinatingly um the opposite of how humble she is. Yeah. Well, she's not humble about being a doctor, though, which is cool. Well, it is cool, but I think also it's a it's, it's a funny relationship because she's really mostly talking about her dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's less a spell and more like a, hey, he left me this vial of magic juice stuff. Um, Just he, take it. He knew his shit. I promise that I know my shit and I won't kill you. <laughs> yeah. And even if I do, like, honestly, you're going to die anyway. So yeah. I'm your last chance. But yeah. I also think there are a ton of women that 
I know, slash, um, not, I don't relate to this at all, um, <laughs> that feel very confident in, in their abilities to, to be smart or yeah. do something useful to be of help, yeah. um, but a lot less confident in their um, sense of self. Yeah. Yeah. Or in their own attractiveness and their, uh-huh. like, ability to be desirable. Yeah. In your, in your sort of, like, personal value outside of, like, utility. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that Helena never gets the, like, Sandy at the end of Greece moment where she's like, I'm hot now. She's just like, I outsmarted you, you fool. Now we're married. <laughs> Which is how every rom-com should end. No makeover. Just triumph. Although now I'm considering putting her into some black leather pants at the end. <laughs> so I'll do a little hand job. Nothing moment. like that. And like then the car flies into the hair. sun. Oh, God. Yes. Why does the car fly at the I end of Greece? That's really my no one idea. question for all's well that ends well. Just, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All's well that ends when we go to the sun? <laughs> I mean, yeah. that is another movie where all of the characters are like, we kind of hate each other, and then at the end it's like, but it's all okay, because the end was fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although Rizzo, man. I don't know. Oof. Does that make Rizzo Diana? I guess. Ooh. She's like, I'm sexually desirable, but lonely. And pregnant. <laughs> well, Diana doesn't seem that lonely. I don't know. You could play it like that if you want. I guess you could. I hope yeah. you don't. I, like, I won't. Yeah, don't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love she, that. She has friends. I she's love like fun. She's a good friend. Yes. And she's her one friend, the widow, her mother. Um, <laughs> but I also love that Diana is just immediately 100% like, um, oh no, Bertram is garbage. And if he's mean to his wife, it's because he's an asshole. Truth. She's great. But technically... Diana has two other friends. Um, one of them never speaks. And the <laughs> other one, true. who's like friends of the family, is very sassy and supportive. True. Oh, that's true. So, so she does have that's friends. True. She has friends. Yeah. She has friends. She definitely has friends. It's for all the crazy ex-girlfriend fans that are listening to this podcast. So, um. Um, Emily, <laughs> what is your favorite Shakespeare play? Hmm. Well... It started as Midsummer Night's Dream, which is the first Classic. play that I ever directed. Um, and I still have a lot of strong ties to that because it also made me a director and got me into Shakespeare. And so therefore has shaped a lot of my life. Uh, but after directing Hamlet, it's really hard to pick anything mm. other than Hamlet. So Side alas. note, tell us about your Hamlet just for like two seconds. Just... It's cool. I, I saw it. <laughs> um, yeah, so this was uh, a handful of years ago. Um, Just back one when, hand, maybe. Back when Mad Men was in its prime. Ooh. And so I did Hamlet, set in uh, the Mad Men 1960s. And the poster was the Mad Men poster, but instead of the... Um, it's the silhouette, uh, mm-hmm. the black and white silhouette. And usually he's got his hand outstretched holding a cigarette. Mm-hmm. And I flip the hand over and put a skull in it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted everyone to see that image. Because it's you. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, um, everyone. Emily's a great director. She's super thoughtful and brilliant. And you should seek her out. Emily Lyon. Emily A. Lyon. Dot com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. L-Y-O-N. Yes. Not plural. I don't know why everyone wants me to be plural. Just a whole pride full of lions. That's right. There. You're just one lion. I can only be one. <laughs> you walk alone. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you. Thanks Emily. for having me. And now for the portion of the podcast where we do uh, an iconic monologue from the play in a series of funny voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlotte, what monologue do you have for us today? This is the first time that Helen tells us, the audience, that she is in love with Bertram. Amazing. And uh, are you ready? Yes. All right, so I would like you to start us off 
Okay. As a robot! Oh, were that all? I think not on my father. And these great tears grace his remembrance more. How about more. as the itsy bitsy spider? Then those I shed for him, what <laughs> was he like? I have not forgot A 50s him. housewife? My imagination carries no favor in it but Bertram's. I am undone. There's no living, none, if Bertram be away. Hagrid. Oh, God. We're <laughs> all one that I should love. Oh, he's, he's not that Scottish. <laughs> love a bright, particular star and think to wed it, Tari. Oh, wizard. Yeah, Tweety <laughs> He is so above me. In his bright radiance and collateral light, <laughs> must I be comforted? Not in his sphere. It's not. I, I thought I saw a booty tat. The ambition in my love thus plagues itself. The hind that would be mated by the lion, fascinating, must die for love. <laughs> Twas pretty, though, a plague. A tiny fairy. To see him. No smaller. <laughs> him every hour to sit and draw his arched brows, his hawking now eye, she's mad. his curls in our heart's table are too capable of she's every line it. and trick of his sweet favor. Italian. But now he's a gone, and my idolatrous fancy must sanctify his relics. Old grandmother. Who comes here? That's the end of the monologue. <laughs> well done. Oof. I, that's I not like how... hearing Spock talk about love. I, that was not uh, the best Leonard Nimoy anyone's ever done. But it wasn't the worst. Maybe not. <laughs> I apologize to all the Tweety Bird fans out there. No, also, that was no. not a... <laughs> I thought I saw a putty no, tat. No. How does Tweety Bird speak? I thought I saw a putty tat. Yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah. I did. I, that, that was equally That's, sort of general. No, you, that was closer. That That's was right. more in the Tweety Bird hey. oeuvre. <laughs> <laughs> the Tweety Boovra. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast, What You Will. A tedious and brief Shakespeare podcast. I'm Charlotte Aline. And I'm Danielle Cohn. And please leave us a nice review. Please share this with your friends. Please maybe like, share it like with your it. enemies. Share it you with your enemies. Maybe it'll bring you together. Yeah. Just stop fighting. It's it, not what this play is about. Well, but... all's well that ends well. So, it's If yeah. it ends... End your feud with this enemy. <laughs> and well, it's all you. it's all good. Yeah. Put your differences so let's, aside. Uh, let's end this one. And come to well. peace over our well, podcast. Well, well. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>